It's time for Money for Lunch, where we feed your brain and your business with supersized portions of business and financial news. Now your host, Bert Martinez. Welcome back, everybody. It's good to have you here. Thank you. Thank you so much for your support. It's been incredible. Um, Money for Lunch is now available, I believe, on every major platform, including Apple and Spotify and Pandora and Amazon. Uh, And it's because of your awesome support. Uh, iHeartRadio also is now uh, part of our syndication. So, again, thank you so much. Your support makes this show happen, and we appreciate that so very much. I appreciate that so very much. And uh, it is my pleasure to um, continue to do the show. Uh, I just love the different guests, the topic ideas that you guys suggest, the guest ideas that you guys suggest. It's really um, it's very satisfying. I appreciate the rapport and the relationship. And um, anyway, today on the show, uh, my good friend and veterans lawyer, Francis Jackson, on the show. Francis Jackson is an attorney who specializes in disability law for those seeking veterans disability benefits, as well as Social Security disability benefits. A founding partner of Jackson McNichol, he most recently appeared as a guest for Ben Glass on the Consumer Advocate Show discussing benefits for veterans and Social Security disability benefits and how his practice allows him to make a difference in the lives of people facing disability. Francis has been featured on NBC, CBS, ABC, and Fox network affiliates. He has also been uh, quoted in USA Today and listed in Cambridge Who's Who. Francis was honored by the National Academy of Bestselling Authors with a Quilly Award for his contribution as a joint author to the best-selling book, Protect and Defend, where he wrote about protecting one's rights to veterans' disability compensation. In 2017, Mr. Jackson was inducted into America's Most Trusted Lawyers for his outstanding work in disability law. For more information, I urge you to visit veteransbenefits.com, veteransbenefits.com, and I will repeat myself later on in the broadcast. Please, let's help as many veterans as possible. And you can do that simply by referring them to veteransbenefits.com. Maybe they don't need any help today, but maybe they will down the road. And also by sharing this episode with everyone you know, especially our brave men and women. Francis Jackson, welcome back. Thanks, Bert. It's always a wonderful opportunity to chat with you. Absolutely, absolutely. And I wanted to uh, kind of dive into um, into this. Um, I know that, uh, you know, we've had a, uh, what do you call it, a lot of, what's the word, activity, a lot of uh, news, and uh, just, just a lot of, I guess, uh, yeah, I'll just stick with activity regarding the Supreme Court's decision regarding abortion. Um, Again, it's, this has been, there's just been tons of discussion and back and forth. And just out of curiosity, has the VA taken a position on what it will do with patients seeking abortions in states prohibiting yeah. abortions? Yes, they have, Bert. Um, specifically, 
they've taken a position on what they'll do in situations where the mother's life is threatened. The, um, the VA takes the position that the uh, Emergency Medical Treatment and Active Labor Act, which is a federal statute that's been around for a while, um, federal law that's been around for a while, uh, requires them to act to save the mother's life if she arrives at a VA emergency room with a life-threatening complication, um, and that could, of course, uh, result in an abortion. Um, and they they take the position that any woman, regardless of whether she's a veteran, regardless of whether she's actually eligible for benefits, um, who arrives in a VA emergency room uh, with a life-threatening condition will be treated even if that requires um, an abortion as the appropriate medical treatment, even in cases where the uh, uh, procedure is precluded by state law. The, uh, there's already been some controversy about that. In Texas, of course, you can imagine that's sort of the, the hotbed of this issue, as you know. And sure. The, uh, the state there filed a lawsuit against the application of the federal law um, and got a uh, preliminary injunction by a uh, local judge. Um, obviously, the, the Justice Department is pursuing that. They've also filed, uh, the Justice Department has also filed a lawsuit in Idaho arguing that um, the, argue, the Idaho law making abortion a crime even in cases of risk uh, to the to the health of the pregnant mother, um, conflicts with the with the federal law and can't be enforced. So um, we'll we'll see um, what you know where where all that goes. Um, as of uh, September 21st, uh, Secretary McDonough, in charge of the the uh, VA, reported that they had. Uh, performed their first abortion um, since issuing the, the rule that its, um, its medical coverage would, uh, would include uh, these kinds of services. So we'll, we'll have to see where it all goes, but um, the Undersecretary for Health, Dr. Sharif Elnal, um, has uh, announced uh, that that is their position, he has notified uh, VA doctors throughout the country, um, and obviously that's only controversial in the states where there's a state law making it inappropriate. But that's the uh, that's the the heart of the the uh, concern at this point. And and Dr. Elnow was very clear. He said we don't wait for confirmation confirmation of uh, veteran status. We have the ability, and we do save the person's life. That applies to anybody in a setting of trauma or emergency that needs life-saving emergency care and arrives at a uh, VA uh, emergency room. So um, this, as you can tell, lots of, uh, lots of uh, disagreement uh, in some states about the appropriateness of that. But um, the VA has um, taken a specific position that it would provide abortions to veterans in cases of rape, incest, or when the life or health of the mother is at risk. Um, 
and the uh, uh, there's a lot of pushback. Uh, the attorney general in uh, Alabama has suggested that uh, he would prosecute VA doctors who conduct uh, abortions in uh, rape or incest cases. Um, and so um, we'll just see where where this all uh, all goes. But the general rule, as you know, is that federal law trumps state law, and so right. um, the uh, the federal uh, statute presumably will uh, preclude any state from preventing VA healthcare providers uh, from providing services at least in a case where the uh, life of the mother is threatened. And so, uh, obviously, uh, like all uh, all the other issues related to this uh, uh, abortion problem since the Supreme Court came down with Dobbs, uh, we're going to have to see how it all plays out. But it's pretty clear from a legal view that federal law, in fact, preempts state law and that to the extent um, that the uh, care is necessary for saving the life of the mother, I don't think the states have any real chance of uh, precluding the VA from carrying out its policy. Um, It's not so clear what happens, as uh, the Alabama uh, Attorney General points out, in cases that are not involving the uh, a, a life-threatening emergency to the mother, but are based on uh, rape or incest. So we'll just have to see. But as as you can appreciate, that's not a, a large number of cases, and hopefully uh, nobody's going to uh, find themselves in a situation where they have to choose between complying with the uh, uh, rules set by their employer at the VA or uh, complying with state law. I'm hoping that'll all kind of get worked out, but you never know. Uh, in any event, um, since we've got what 14 states now that uh, are banning uh, abortions, uh, it's um, it's going to uh, get it's going to play out somewhere. We'll just have to find out where and how. Sure. Yeah, you know what, and and I think that uh, uh, first of all, I commend the military for for sticking uh, to their guns, so to speak, and and, uh, and and not backing down. So that's good. And, and number two, uh, you know, abortion is not something that I think people take lightly. I mean, this is a serious situation. And and obviously, if, if it's to save the mother's life, it's a pretty clear uh, situation. And I think you. I think you have to be a. I don't know, kind of a special individual to say, hey, under no circumstances is an abortion a remedy, right? And uh, you know, I, I don't know. It just it just always boggles my mind how so so many lawmakers, uh, especially male lawmakers, want to impose certain standards on females. And uh, anyway, so as you said, this is going to this is going to be interesting to watch. It will. It's unfortunate, but it it will be interesting to see how it plays out. I I am 
I am reasonably comfortable that um, the federal law will take precedence here in cases involving the life of the mother. Uh, I don't I don't think there's really uh, that the states really can do much uh, in that arena. But uh, in some of these others, it's uh, it's it's touch and go how it all comes out. I think. Absolutely. All right. So let's talk about uh, uh, Florida real quick. As the world knows, uh, Florida just is is still in the recovery mode from from uh, the recent hurricane. Um, and just out of curiosity, has the impact? Um, what impact or, or what is the VA doing in this scenario here? Well, um, Bert, they've uh, they treated um, Fiona in uh, um, in Puerto Rico and in um, uh, together, if you will, and and the policy is that. Um, well, uh, let me take those separately. It's easier. Um, with regard to Hurricane Ian, um, the Florida uh, both uh, benefit services and uh, health care services are all up and running. Uh, luckily, the, uh, the VA's main facility in Florida at uh, Bay Pines in Tampa wasn't uh, seriously damaged by the hurricane. Uh, so uh, that that was uh, that was the good news. Um, on a secondary level, with both uh, uh, Hurricane Ian and uh, anyone affected uh, by Fiona, uh, what they've done is they have uh, suspended or offered to suspend any debt repayments due from veterans or their families uh, affected by either hurricane. So uh, if uh, you are a uh, veteran who uh, owes a uh, repayment of some sort or uh, co-payments for your medical help uh, or other um, uh, financial obligations for uh, education benefits and so on, um, any of those um, you can seek to uh, have the VA uh, give you a suspension or cessation of uh, those payments uh, to the extent you're, you're uh, impacted by the hurricane. And so uh, what anyone who needs to do that uh, has to do is to contact the VA Debt Management Center. Um, there's a uh, an internet site, AskVA, um, at ask.va.gov. Um, and then uh, you can select the Veterans Affairs Debt Services category, or you can call the VA at 800-827-0648, and either of those will uh, uh, will uh, you know reach the appropriate folks to uh, to deal with outstanding debts. If it's a suspension of uh, debts for medical care that um, is not fully covered by the VA um, or VA pharmacy co-payment debts, uh, the veterans or their beneficiaries can contact the VA Health Resource Center um, by calling 866-400-1238. So um, any of those uh, uh, 
debts can be suspended if you were affected by uh, by the hurricanes. Wow, that's pretty nice. I, that's great. Um, and I will put those that information in the show notes as well, so you guys can look it up there. Um, you know, I think uh, a while back we talked about the PACT Act and uh, drinking water issues at Camp Lejeune as well. Are there any other concerns about chemical exposures in the drinking water for our military? Uh, there are. Um, there's been a lot of talk lately and, and not not a lot of definitive information is available. There's been a lot of concern about the uh, aircraft carriers, um, the USS Nimitz, um, the uh, Saratoga, uh, and others have uh, consistently had reports by sailors and marine personnel serving aboard that the water was contaminated with jet fuel water for both uh, drinking and bathing. And so it's uh, it's not clear where that's all going. Um, there was a report most recently on the Saratoga uh, late last month, and they uh, found traces of, uh, of water uh, pollution. Um, so I'm, I'm sorry, I said the Saratoga is the Nimitz that, that they the report was about last uh, last month, um, the USS Nimitz, and uh, it's just not uh, at all clear how serious the exposure has been. But uh, as you probably know, jet fuel is really bad stuff. Uh, it can lead to all kinds of things, up to and including dementia. Um, it's just not healthy for humans, and so. Anytime there's a concern that that stuff is getting into the water supply, it's uh, it's not uh, it, it's not anything to uh, to take lightly. So it's um, it's hard to tell. Um, there have been reports, as I said, over time. Uh, there was a 2017 report that uh, uh, these. Uh, uh, jet fuels can enter the body by uh, skin contact, skin contact uh, through the digestive tract or the lungs, and uh, you know it's it's been a it's been reported repeatedly for different uh, different carriers, the USS Ranger uh, and uh, the USS Tripoli, uh, various others, the USS Boxer. But um, so far, at least, there's nothing definitive about the extent of the contamination, how long it's lasted, um, and how serious it is. But it's pretty clear that it's an ongoing problem. Um, you know, it's not clear how the uh, how the fuel gets into the water. Um, one of the ways that can happen is if uh, the tanks get cross-connected, but there are uh, a number of things that can happen. And even uh, even ashore, um, last year there was a, a uh, an issue in uh, 
the Navy's water supply in a base in Hawaii uh, with uh, petroleum leaking into the water supply. It's it's just not uh, uh, something that the Navy seems to be able to keep fully under control for whatever reasons. And so it's uh, it's been recurrent and there doesn't seem to be any resolution, which is really the scary mm. part. So we'll we'll have to see where that's all going. But it's currently an issue. Um, it's a recurring issue, and it's just hard to know how uh, how bad it uh, it is and how uh, many folks are being affected by it. Yeah, that's just incredible. Um, yeah, I'm just trying to think. You know. Uh, I, I just, I don't know, it just boggles the mind. And, of course, I have no engineering and or mechanical background, so uh, I just, it just seems like, you know, the, the military, the Army has a whole set of engineers, right, the Corps of Engineers, and it seems like this would be something that they could figure out or make better. Well, I don't know. Yeah. The Navy has a bunch of engineers too, but they don't. Oh yeah, don't I forgot about the Navy. To, yeah, they don't. They don't seem to be getting to the to the to the heart of what the problem is here. Although, um, <laughs> you know, it wouldn't it wouldn't surprise me to learn that these are incidents that involve um, human error as opposed to uh, truly engineering issues. But who knows? Right, all, right. All and I, I mean, say I, for sure. I, sorry, and I, and I, I go ahead. I'm sorry. No, my apologies. Uh, all I can say for sure is that uh, it's it's recurring, which is not uh, not really uh, a comforting thought. Right, right, and and again, it's let's 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 give the let's give everybody the benefit of the doubt, and I agree with you. It probably is human error, but when you have when you have the same error error repeated over and over again, then there's either a training breakdown. There's some kind of confusion happening where this, you know, here I am, I'm supposed to, uh, I don't know, plug in this water line or whatever, and 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 uh, and maybe the water line and the fuel line are too close to each other, or they're not distinct enough. It's, you know, it's just like when they 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 start a new subdivision and. Uh, and you know, and, and, and the streets are all sound the same. You have Water Place, you you have uh, Water Street, you have you know Water Avenue, and it's you know it gets to be very confusing. And so, I, I I think again, you think somebody could say, okay, this is happening too often. How do we fix it? Do we need anyway? So we'll we'll just see this. Hopefully, we'll have an update. Uh, and, and they'll get this thing fixed, but uh, who knows? Um, all right, so let me ask you this, kind of changing the subject a little bit from uh, from water to uh, the caregiver benefits. Uh, any updates on the VA caregiver benefits uh, that you're aware of? Yes, yes. The, um, the VA has expanded uh, caregiver benefits uh, starting uh, the first of this month. That that's ex- it, that is expected to add uh, several thousand uh, veterans' families to uh, 
to the program. Um, and that was originally scheduled to uh, take place in 2020, but it was delayed for these two years while they tried to sort out all the processing and support for the program. And currently, um, only veterans who served before May 1975 or after September 2001 are eligible for the benefits. The, uh, the expansion is to include all of those, uh, those folks who are uh, in, the, in the gap in between from 75 to 2001. And right now, there are about 43,000 veterans uh, enrolled in the program. It's called the Program of Comprehensive Assistance to Family Caregivers. And the, the uh, purpose of the program is to support and compensate full-time caregivers providing at-home assistance to severely wounded veterans. The, uh, the VA is, uh, is going to extend benefits to uh, any existing families that didn't fit within the criteria until at least late 2025. There was uh, talk earlier about uh, dropping folks from the program in early 2023, but instead, they say they expect to add about 16,000 more families over the course of the year, and they have uh, uh, increased the staffing for their support line to uh, uh, to uh, make that uh, easier for people to contact them. And the um, the benefits, as you know, um, vary a lot for veterans based on what kind of uh, conditions they have that are service connected, but. Typically, um, the stipends vary um, from around 3000 a month for the most severely wounded veterans um, and down to about 1800 for others that still need around-the-clock care but aren't quite as seriously uh, debilitated. So uh, the VA is also providing training and medical support for eligible veterans and their families. And... As you may remember, we talked about um, last year, the VA was talking about uh, reviewing the cases of uh, people who enrolled before October 1st, 2020, to ensure that they still met the criteria for receiving benefits. And after all the public outcry about that, uh, the VA announced that they would re-examine the changes to the eligibility rules, and they stopped. Uh, those reviews and earlier this month they made the current determination that all the families currently in the program will be um, uh, authorized to continue to participate until at least 2025 uh, while they work on uh, refining their criteria so we're uh, you know, we we are at least seeing a short-term benefit. I'm hoping it will turn into a uh, a long-term benefit. Um, but um, they've also uh, uh, talked about uh, reaching out to uh, existing families in coming weeks to ensure that they understand the expansion and reassure them that uh, they will be continued in the program until at least 2025. They have uh, hired 300 new employees uh, to uh, help with the anticipated additional workload. 
And so we'll we'll see where it all goes, but it's uh, it's certainly a step forward. It's a it's a very you know for a family member who is foregoing full-time work to stay home and take care of a uh, severely wounded veteran. Um, that's a, a huge financial impact, and so this uh, caregiver program is intended to offset and, um, you know, ameliorate at least the inability to work for those folks and to give them uh, some financial means to uh, to be able to continue to care for our veterans who are seriously wounded. So we'll see where it all goes in the long run, but in the short run, at least, uh, the problem has been resolved. That's great. That's great. That's a nice, uh, what do you call it, update uh, for our caregivers. That is wonderful. Hey, just real quick, uh, I have heard that there is a VA benefit case now before the Supreme Court. Is that information correct? What is this about? That is true. Um, There's a case called Arenello versus McDonough. Um, And what that's about... um, Mr. Arinello is arguing that he should be given given um, veterans benefits from an earlier date. And the way that all comes together is this. Normally when you apply for veterans benefits, the uh, application is effective <clears throat> from the time you file it with the VA. There's no, um, there's generally no uh, retroactivity prior to your filing with the VA. So say um, that uh, you, Bert Martinez, are a veteran, and today you go down and file a claim for some disability, you know, say uh, an injured foot, for example. If the VA grants that disability, your benefits would start with November 1st of this year, which would be the first day of the first full month after uh, you were determined to be eligible. So what's going on in Mr. Arinello's case is this. He served from 71 to 81, and while he was on the Midway, the the aircraft carrier, there was a collision with a merchant vessel. He was almost swept overboard himself, and he saw a number of other servicemen seriously injured and two killed. Uh, Following that, uh, he developed uh, various mental health issues. And in 2011, his brother worked with him and helped him to apply for benefits. But he is arguing that because of the severity of his mental health condition, he was unable to to apply uh, for benefits from the time he left the service in 1981 up until he applied in June 2011. And his argument is that because of the severity of his mental health problems, which precluded him from filing, he should get the benefit of a legal doctrine called equitable tolling. And what equitable tolling does is to say, okay, If you miss a filing date in various federal programs, federal courts, and so on, 
you can, in some circumstances, be allowed to have your claim proceed as though it had been filed in a timely fashion if there are circumstances that make it unfair to hold the late filing against you. And there are lots of different examples, but it's primarily um, been health problems that have been the basis of most of these cases over the years. Um, and so Mr. Aranello is arguing that he should get an additional 20 years of back benefits from 2011, uh, sorry, 30, 30 years of back benefits from 2011 back to 81 um, because his mental condition was too severe for him to file on his own and it wasn't until he uh, was able to get his brother to help him or his brother volunteered to help him that uh, he was able to file. And so that case has, has been argued at the Supreme Court. Um, the uh, the uh, Court of Appeals, which uh, heard the case before it went to the Supreme Court, um, split six to six. Uh, and uh, that's, that reflects that it was hearing the case on banc. All the active judges were uh, authorized to... Uh, participate in the case, normally it's just a panel of three, but because this is on bonk, the entire court um, participated and and it split six to six. So uh, half of them said equitable tolling couldn't be uh, changed to apply to this. The other half saying it should, but um, as a result of the, the split, um, the uh, law firm that represented uh, Mr. Aaron L. Finnegan from uh, D.C. Um, took the case uh, to the Supreme Court, and we're waiting to see where that all goes, but, um, you know, it's a uh, it's an interesting argument. It would really make a huge uh, change in potential entitlement to VA benefits if those with mental health conditions of, of some severity um, could uh, reach back all the way to the period when they left the service on that basis. Uh, the, uh, the questioning at the court seemed to suggest that it um, was not um, really likely to be uh, accepted by the court, but it's hard to know. Um, there were a number of uh, number of questions that uh, uh, suggest that uh, at least a couple members of the court might uh, might be leaning his way, but overall the tenor of the questioning seemed to uh, to not uh, uh, be. Uh, be favorable. So it, it's just um, it's just uh, going to be very uh, uh, very uh, interesting to see what they do with it. The uh, there are a lot of technical pieces to the legal argument that I won't bore you with, but the the essence of it is that um, this would give him an extra uh, roughly six hundred thousand dollars in past due benefits, um, and you know the uh, 
the court seems to me unlikely to open that door, but you never know. Uh, the, the current Supreme Court is a is a strange creature and hard to predict. Um, so we're we're just kind of all waiting to see what uh, what happens. Sure, sure. So let me ask you this: if if the Supreme Court decides not to hear it, is the case? What happens in a scenario like this? Because the the appeals court is tied six to six, and if the Supreme Court won't hear the case at all, what well, happens the, the next? Supreme, the uh, the Supreme Court in this case has heard it, but to, to take your hypothetical, um, there are, there are a bunch of rules that come into play um, when when a court ties. Um, Six to six, or in this case, or any um, any any even number to even number. The rule is that um, that doesn't change the decision below. In other words, uh, years ago, back when I did criminal law, I, I had a uh, case where there were only six justices present that day in the state supreme court, and they split three to three, so I lost because. Uh, the decision below was uh, was against us, and um, we we didn't get a quorum in our favor. And that's that's gotcha. the way it works. Um, a six-six split means that the decision below stays. In this case, the Supreme Court has heard the issue. It is unlikely that they would refuse to uh, uh, to decide the case once they've heard it. That that does happen once in a while, uh, but it's very rare, and I, I wouldn't expect it here. I think in this case they will either uh, affirm the, uh, the decision of the uh, of the veterans court saying that uh, you could not get benefits, um, or uh, they will reverse it. But I, I think the odds of them not rendering a decision are pretty low. And I, my my hunch, um, based on my experience, is that. Um, Arinello is going to lose, but you never know. It's an interesting case. Um, veterans benefits cases hardly ever get to the Supreme Court. It's it's, it's a very rare thing. So um, everybody in the, in the veterans benefits legal community is, is very excited to see that there's a case up there and to see what uh, what the court will do with it. Sure, sure. Um, yeah, that, that, that it's it's going to be interesting. Uh, I, and, and so they have already heard it, and um, now we're just waiting for them to make a decision. That's correct. Okay. And so typically, how long does a decision take? Is it 90 it days? It, it varies enormously, Bert. Uh, anywhere okay. from a month to a year, depending on uh, on how much infighting there is within the court over the over the result. But um, this is this is uh, this is interesting because there are some other cases that have been stayed, waiting to see what's going to happen here. For example, there's a there's a uh, a group um, of veterans. Uh, uh, referred to as the Edgewood veterans, uh, they have a, a lawsuit pending for experiments that the military did at the Edgewood Arsenal many years ago um, 
and they were all uh, sworn to secrecy about uh, these these uh, super secret tests that did all kinds of, uh, of strange uh, testing, everything from mustard gas to sarin and uh, LSD and various other substances, uh, and they were all uh, required to sign a, a you know confidentiality form that they'd never tell anybody about all this and so on. Right. And, and um, that that group has uh, uh, filed a suit, which is is has been stayed pending the decision in Arenello. Uh, and if uh, if Arenello is successful, these folks potentially could uh, also get a, a large number of back benefits. The uh, the theory in their case being um, they were required by the military to agree not to tell anybody about it, so they couldn't apply for veterans' benefits based on uh, on this uh, testing that they couldn't talk about. So it'll it'll all you know be very interesting to see how uh, Arnello plays out. But uh, uh, I I uh, my my uh, best prognostication is that uh, Mr. Arnello is going to lose, but you never know. It's uh, as I said the current. Supreme Court is uh, a lot harder to predict than uh, it, than the, some some configurations of the court have been in the past. Sure, sure. Hey, Francis, we're out of time. I want to say thank you so much for first of all protecting our veterans. Uh, it's such an important cause, and and uh, you know uh, our veterans are these unsung heroes. They're constantly forgotten about and and certainly overlooked and. And so uh, thank you so much for helping out our veterans. And as always, my friend, uh, thank you so much for stopping by. My pleasure, Bert. Good stuff there from veterans lawyer Francis Jackson. And again, if you want to help out our brave men and women, check, check I'm sorry, spread the word, veteransbenefits.com, veteransbenefits.com. And it might be a situation where, you know what, they don't need any help. But there's so much. The, the benefits package is so big that sometimes it is um, the, the families themselves have no idea what they're entitled to. Uh, today we talked a little bit about uh, the uh, Health Care Provider Act, or yeah, the Care Provider Act. Uh, there's also benefits for family members, children, spouses. Anyway, please, let's share this episode with everyone you know and let everybody know about VeteransBenefits.com. And as always, my friends, remember you were created to succeed. Tune in Monday through Friday here on Money for Lunch and check out our website at MoneyForLunch.com. <laughs>